So this Sunday, we are going to wrap up, Lord willing, our series on Habits of Grace. Uh, it's been a been a fun time going through this theme of Habits of Grace using the book by David Mathis to kind of to give us an outline of, of where we're going to go uh, in talking about the Habits of Grace. And it's also given us space at the beginning of the year to, to talk about our vision and values uh, within uh, this, the, the concept of these Habits of Grace that that the Bible calls us to, um, and this morning, in, in connection with race, Racial Reconciliation Sunday, and the series that we've been a part, we've been doing, I'd like to talk about the grace of forgiveness, the grace of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness isn't, isn't usually categorized as a spiritual discipline, but I think we could rightly say that for the Christian, forgiveness is a habit it's a habit of grace. It's a way of life in which those of us who have been forgiven much through the Lord Jesus Christ forgive others much. And what we're going to see as we open the pages of Philemon, we're going to see a beautiful glimpse of God's grace. Actually, I was, I was wanting to title this the beauty of grace. The beauty of grace. We see a snapshot, a portrait, a picture of God's gracious work through the life of the apostle, through the life of this runaway slave and this Christian master. And we see a story, a beautiful story about forgiveness and reconciliation. And that happens because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so let me pray and we'll dig in together. Father, as we open the pages of scripture, would you capture our hearts with the beauty of your grace? Would you win us over and may we be those who are quick to give, who forgive and quick to reconcile and lead the way in being peacemakers in this world, in our relationships, in our communities, in our workplaces and families, God. Teach us. Teach us to practice this habit of grace, of forgiving others, forgiving the debts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Philemon. Philemon, chapter one. We're going to cover a whole book today, y'all. This is the shortest book or epistle uh, that we have in, in the scripture. And it's a personal letter from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was in Rome in prison. He's an older man at this point. And he writes to this leader of a church in Colossae who hosted the, the church gathering in his home. And there was this, this slave, this runaway slave, Onesimus, who was, was, um, Philemon's, uh, slave, and he, he ran away, and somehow he encountered the Apostle Paul, and somehow he became a Christian, and the Apostle Paul is sending him back with, with a gracious appeal. So let's read this together. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, and our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. 
Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he may serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you may have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. For if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your own owing me, even yourself. Yes, brother, I have, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Woo! Isn't this good? I love this. I've really enjoyed looking at this, this short little letter. And what, the first thing I want to point out is that from beginning to end, this little letter is dripping with grace. It's dripping with grace. The apostle Paul starts out his, his formal, um, uh, be, uh, beginning of his letters with grace and peace. He starts out and he finishes it here with grace. Grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. And then sandwiched in between is the meaty, acted out gospel narrative of the grace of forgiveness through the Apostle Paul. So here's our big idea this morning. The gospel impacts society by changing the lens through which we see ourselves and others, and at the same time, changing how we function in our relationships. I'll say it again. The gospel impacts society by changing the lens with which we see ourselves and others, at the same time, changing how we function within our relationships. Now, in this short little epistle, I want to highlight, first of all, Paul's affirmation of Philemon, okay? He starts off with affirming the good that he saw in his life, okay? Um, scholars think that, that maybe uh, he became a, uh, this guy, Philemon, became a Christian in Ephesus, um, uh, and he was probably wealthy he pro- because he had a, a nice a house big enough to host the church in his home. And he was probably a very hospitable person based on what Paul says about him. And so first of all, he starts off calling him a beloved fellow worker, a beloved fellow worker. And then he, and then he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward Jesus, to the, toward the Lord Jesus Christ, toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And he says, I've derived much joy and comfort from you, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, notice before Paul makes his ask, before he makes his appeal, he's first affirming him. Okay, Paul's a great leader and he's leading with grace in, in this, uh, in this letter and the way that he's dealing with this tricky situation that seems very challenging. He's leading with grace. He's being winsome. He's being gracious. He's being wise in his words and how he addresses Philemon. And so he, he, first of all, he affirmed that he is beloved. He calls him beloved. Okay. Look to the person next to you and just affirm our brother or sister next next to you and say, you're, you beloved, you beloved, 
We're, we're called that over and over in the New Testament. Beloved, beloved, beloved. And that means we are loved by namely God. And in the body of Christ, we are loved by the body of Christ. And we have a place. We belong in the family of God. Right? And we all, all humans have that need wired within us. We need a place to belong. We need a place to be known, a place to be loved and, and to love. And Philemon found that, Philemon found that in the body of Christ. He found that in Jesus Christ, in the richness of the fellowship, the quononia within the body of Christ. Paul also affirmed his partnership, and he uses the word quononia. This is what Kevin preached about a couple of weeks ago, the fellowship. Okay, this is also translated as partnership or, or sharing. Okay, quononia, it's a, it's a rich word. Um, uh, Philemon was a fellow worker. He had become a participant with Paul and with the body of Christ. And he was not a passive participant. He was an active participant sharing his resources with the church. Because God had been so gracious and generous with him. Paul affirmed his love, his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for the saints, his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He affirmed his hospitality. Now, I really, I really appreciate the way that Paul says this. He says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Has anybody ever felt that through a brother or sister? Somebody whose life is just dripping with grace. They're hospitable. They're gracious. Their disposition is one of kindness. They know how to speak words of encouragement to you. And especially when you're hurting, especially when you're struggling, you're around a brother or sister who is a safe person and they provide a safe place for you. And it's refreshing. It's refreshing. We get to be conduits of God's grace. And so uh, Philemon was, was a guy like that. He was, a, he was a, uh, an example in the church, and Paul was calling that out. Paul also affirmed his integrity to do what is right and his confidence that he would do what is right. And notice his prayer in verse 6. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us in, um, in us for the sake of Christ. Now, translations kind of, kind of treat this, this passage a little bit different. Um, the NLT says, and I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Live out your faith, he prays. I pray that you live out your faith. And, and Paul was thanking God for him. Paul was grateful for him. As Paul remembered him, he was thankful to God and his heart was delighted as he thought about Philemon. And he says, I keep praying that, and this is the message, this is a paraphrase. I keep praying that this faith we hold common keeps showing up in all the good things we do. That the, that the people recognize Christ in all of it. Amen? So Paul appeals, he first affirms him, he butters him up, so to speak. He starts with something very positive and affirming about him before he, he gives him the ask. Um, and, and the next thing he does is he appeals to him. He's on, on behalf of Onesimus. He appeals to him and he says, for love's sake, here's, here's the reason, here's the reason he is to be gracious towards Onesimus, a former, former slave. So, so Onesimus had, had, had run away. And it was like it was likely that he, he took something that he wasn't supposed to take and he did something that, that was wrong, okay? And in Roman society, slaves could have their or masters can have their slaves put to death for something like that. Right? And so this was a pretty serious deal. And Philemon was a was a Roman citizen. And so he had the right to punish under that system, whether, whether we consider that right or wrong, he had the right 
to do that according to the law of that day. And here we see Paul operating with gospel principles, with functioning with gospel grace. And he says, according though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So Paul could have, as an apostle, just said, hey, let this guy go. Release him, let him go. Now, Paul's an older man and a more tender man at this point in his walk with the Lord. And, and he knew the grace of God intimately. And he was conveying the grace of God to um, Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. He says, I, Paul, am an old man, now a prisoner in Christ. So, so Paul wasn't trying to pull the authority uh, card like, I'm, I'm over you in the Lord, like you should do this. This is the right thing to do. He was appealing to Philemon to love, to do what's right out of love, okay? He was appealing to him to forgive, to forgive Onesimus for whatever he did wrong to him and to embrace him as a brother, okay? So first of all, he appeals on the basis of love's sake, and then he appeals on the basis of mutual partnership. Now, this is, this is very um, winsome and, and slick of, of Paul. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me, okay? Quoninia, if, if we're in this together, this gospel partnership, then receive him as you would receive me. Because Onesimus had become a Christian and he was very helpful. And by the way, his name, his name means useful. His name means useful. Onesimus means useful. And it was ironic that as a servant in, in Philemon's house that he didn't seem to be living up to his name. He, it seemed, he seemed to be causing um, tension within the household, and so he, he splits. But when he became a Christian, and he was brought into the family of God, that dysfunction in his life that made him unuseful or dysfunctional, it changed. Right? Because when we become Christians, we, we shift from being self-oriented to others-oriented. Right? We, 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 the love of God is, is poured out into our hearts and Paul had become very affectionate toward this new brother in Christ. And so he says, if you consider me your partner, receive him. This is similar to, to Romans chapter 15 where Paul says, uh, welcome one another therefore for the glory of God as Christ has welcomed you. You see, this posture of gracious welcome and hospitality is the posture of those who have been received and welcomed by heaven. Amen? This posture of welcome and gracious hospitality is the posture of those who have been welcomed and received by heaven. Now, I wanted to play this video, the Bible Project video. If you guys get a chance, watch that this week. That's your assignment. Go watch the Bible Project video. They do a great job of telling the story of Philemon. And, uh, and this is a clip from, from that, uh, video. And, and Tim Mackey does an excellent job explaining and highlighting here how Paul, though, though, though the gospel is not explicitly mentioned in this letter, like the gospel is mentioned in the rest of Paul's letters, like Paul is just gospel centered. He talks about the death, the burial, and the rex- resurrection of Jesus Christ in his letters, right? And that, and that was his message. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man. Though he doesn't explicitly talk about the gospel in this letter, he implicitly displays gospel principles. In this letter, Paul is being like an intercessor. He's, he's being like Jesus in a sense saying, Hey, if he's wronged you, just, just charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. And if we're, if we're partners in, in, in this, in the gospel, then, uh, then, then receive him as you would receive me. Isn't that a powerful gospel truth that, that as Christians, we get the righteousness of Jesus Christ imparted to us? 
Jesus became the one and only sacrifice that can absorb the penalty for our sins. Okay? And when, when you and I placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we got his righteousness accounted to our account. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, he, or yeah, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 or 5. He says, he, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? And so we see the apostle Paul following the example of Jesus. Not, not it's, and it's not that Paul's, Paul's, Paul was a, a substitutionary atonement for his sin, but Paul is modeling that love that Jesus modeled when Jesus became the substitutionary atonement, the atoning sacrifice for your sin and my sin. This is love. This is what love looks like. When we follow the way of Jesus, this is the way, as the Mandalorian says. Or as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father God except through me. The way of Jesus is the way of love, grace, and forgiveness. Now, Paul says he, on the, he makes his appeal on the basis of Paul's own account. He says, if he owes anything to you, charge it to my account. Let me take the tab, right? And so Paul steps in offering himself to, to pay for the penalty. And by the way, this, this also highlights that when we become Christians, though our sins are forgiven before God, okay, we get forgiven and redeemed and we have this new life in Christ. There still may be some consequences that we have to experience in this life for the wrongs that we've done. Some people may still have to go to jail for breaking the law, right? And in this particular circumstance, Onesimus and Paul were, 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 were being, were, were, um, uh, were, were, Onesimus had to face his past. He had to face his past so that he can move forward. And that's something that we all have to do. And we do it with gospel confidence. We do it in light of the gospel that Jesus has taken our place. That he's paid it all for us. I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end in application. So one commentator said that he's not asking for a measure of sacrifice from Philemon as one who knows nothing of sacrifice. That's the Apostle Paul. He has forfeited his freedom for Christ's sake so that as a ground, so, so has a ground for appealing. This is a principle involved in any true pastoral work. The pastor can only appeal to his people for self-sacrifice and discipline if he himself knows the meaning of discipline in his own life. Otherwise, his call is empty and lifeless. So Paul was leading by example. Tim Mackey says that Paul is asking Philemon to release Onesimus from slavery and to treat him as an equal within their Jesus community. All of Jesus's followers are equal partners who share in the gift of God's grace and love. And so let me highlight a couple implications of the gospel that we see within this short little epistle. The first one is that the gospel changes our relational status. The gospel changes our relational status. Now I don't mean like from from Mrs to to, to miss miss to Mrs, right? That, that that doesn't necessarily mean that. All right? It doesn't change our our gender, right? As, as, but it changes our posi- our relationship with God and how we relate to others. Our relational status. Onesimus was a bondservant. He was a slave. And he had become a beloved brother. He had become a family member. Okay? So the church was meeting in Philemon's house. So, so no doubt... I can just imagine Onesimus could overhear Christian conversations and Christian fellowship. And maybe he helped clean up after the mess, after the fellowship was over, right? And, and, and maybe, maybe he, he felt resentment towards these Christians who talked about freedom, right? I'm just, just imagination here, okay? Whatever, whatever the case was, whatever happened, he took off 
and he left on bad terms and God providentially showed up in his life and he encountered the grace of God. Thank you for whoever turned on the AC. I'm experiencing the grace of God right now. (laughs) I'm being refreshed by whoever just turned on the AC. Thank you for being like Philemon. So the gospel changes our status. The way that Paul put it in Colossians, which, by the way, this is another letter that was delivered to Philemon and the church there at Colossae. Okay? He, he describes the, the explicitly these gospel implications that we see within this short little letter. The NLT puts it like this in chapter 3, verse 11. It says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. See, this changes everything. There's, there's this new humanity. There's this new family. The body of Christ that's made up of, of people from every tribe and every tongue. From, from every sphere of influence. And I love that about the gospel. How it brings us together across those barriers that typically divide people in the world. Unfortunately, it is, it's sad that unfortunately that Sunday mornings are the most segregated time of the week. And has been for years, right? And in the body of Christ, we should be those who intentionally reach across those barriers because we see people differently. We see ourselves differently, okay? We see ourselves through the lens of the gospel of grace and we see others through the lens of the gospel of grace, especially those who have become believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus. We see them as family members and that's you know paul says in your prayers to the saints you know he says pray for all the saints okay not just your church in ephesus or Colossae, but pray for all the saints because you're a part of one big global family amen tim Mackey says that all of jesus's followers are equal partners who share in the gift of god's grace and love he also says that in this new society People's value and social status is no longer defined by race, gender, social, or economic class. In Messiah, they are just new humans who are equal partners, sharing together in God's healing mercy through Jesus. Amen? So the gospel changes our relational status. The gospel also changes our relational function. How we function. Anybody else brought up in a dysfunctional family? You don't have to raise your hands, especially you kids. <laughs> I was brought up in a broken family that, that was dysfunctional. And I was dysfunctional. Sin had left its mark on my life, on my relationships, on the way that I see myself, the way that I see others the way that I related to women, okay? The way I related to men, okay? And so the gospel changes that. Like like when Paul writes Timothy, he says that, you know, that in the family of God, in the household of God, we're to see older women as mothers, older men as fathers, okay? Younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters in all purity, you see, it, it changes, the, the gospel of grace changes the lens that we have and how we see ourselves and how we see others, especially those within the family of God. And here in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is unpacking what it looks like for the Colossian church to live out the gospel, okay? In the relationships, okay? And it involves the habit of the grace of forgiveness, the, the, the habit of grace, of forgiveness. He says this. He says, put on then as God's chosen and holy and beloved, as, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Again, you beloved. You beloved. You be chosen. And you be holy. God has set you apart. He's made you holy. Right? This is what God's already done positionally 
Okay, we have this this tight relationship. We got this Wi-Fi connection that can't be disrupted with God. We're brought into the family eternally. And in light of what Christ has done, in light of who Christ has made us, then he says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's what gospel-centered relationships looks like. Here's what the effects of the gospel being lived out through our relationships looks like. And Paul was appealing to Philemon to walk according to these words here that Paul explicitly gave to them. And I, when I, when Kendall and I um, coach and encourage couples in, in, in marriage, this is one of the biggest verses that we that we hit on. If any relationship is going to survive. When, when you got two sinners living together for years, up, up in each other's space for a long period of time, there's going to be a complaint, right? And you throw mix, you throw children into the mix of that. There's going to be all kinds of undesirable experiences, sounds, smells, attitudes, just doing life with people. Being real close in relationship together. And so we have to bear with one another in the weaknesses and the failures and the sins. And we gotta be reminded that we're all like Onesimus. We've all been like Onesimus, rebellious and running away, dysfunctional, not, not being useful to God and available to God. And Jesus shows up. He showed up in our lives and he paid it all for us. He paid for our sins, the death penalty that we deserve for our rebellion. He stepped in and he took the place. And so this is the basis for our relationships to have healthy functioning um, outlets. Okay, it, 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 it's it's the basis that Christ has forgiven you. If you're tempted to point a finger, remember not only that three are pointing back at you when you do that, but also remember that that Christ has forgiven you. Jesus said, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Anybody here fall in that category? Anybody here got the right to cast stones at anybody? We don't. There's only one righteous judge, and that's Jesus. And he treated us so much better than we deserved. He treats us so much better than we deserve. And you see, this is how relationships flourish. This is how we can function in a healthy way in our relationships when we treat one another better than we perceive that others deserve. Okay? It's called grace. Undeserved favor or blessing. Okay? And this is what Paul was calling Philemon to, to treat him in that way. If you come from a dysfunctional family or if you are currently experiencing dysfunction in your relationships, know that there's hope for you because the gospel of grace has power to change hearts, to heal broken hearts, to remove bitterness. And the complaint that's just stealing your peace and your joy, robbing you of enjoying your day because you just keep thinking about that person who did you wrong, that complaint, that can be brought to the foot of the cross. And as, as Paul told Philemon, charge it to my account. Jesus is like, charge that to my account. Put the rock down, put the stone down. Because you're throwing it at me. Especially if that other brother or sister that you're holding a complaint and unforgiveness towards is within the body of Christ. You're doing it unto Jesus, how you treat that person. Remember what Jesus told Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
We don't want to treat God's children bad or the, the bride of Christ bad. And so that changes everything when we see things from that biblical lens, that gospel lens. The gospel changes our relational function. Notice what Paul said to bondservants and masters within in that context. He says, bondservants obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart and fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, this is applicable to employers and employees as well. All right? The gospel changes how we view our work, how we do our work, and why we do our work. It changes our relational function. Uh, Paul addresses masters, and he says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fair, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Knowing that, that there's, there's a higher authority, so don't, don't be abusive. Don't, don't take advantage. Don't be unjust. Don't be unfair. But do what's right. Okay? Tim Mackey says that <clears throat> Philemon and Onesimus can no longer relate merely as master and slave because they are now family members, brothers in Messiah. So Paul says, receive him as a brother. G. Campbell Morgan says, the supreme work of Christianity is to transform men so that out of their transformed lives shall come the transformation of all social conditions and the victories of righteousness and love. Paul was acting out the message, not only of forgiveness, but the message of reconciliation. The, the message that's, that's been entrusted to you and I. You and I have become ministers of reconciliation. Look to somebody next to you and say, you're a minister of reconciliation. You're a minister of reconciliation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, he said, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Amen? So here it is. This is what Paul's acting out. Living out for us to, to observe. Here's what it looks like to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be ambassadors for Christ. Now let me just say, as a Christian, there's been times when I've struggled with unforgiveness. Okay? And there's one particular time that I can remember there was a person... Um, and thankfully I, I, I can say this was before it was, it was early on in my walk with the Lord. I probably have more recent examples, but I won't share any of those. No, <laughs> long, long time ago when I struggled with unforgiveness. No, but this one stands out because, because it was, it was probably the heart, the, the most difficult struggle with unforgiveness that I've had. Okay. And it was directed towards a leader and, and, um, and I remember at, trying to sleep at night and having no peace because of this unforgiveness that I was holding on to towards this person. I felt tormented. I even, I told the Lord that like, God, I can't sleep right now. I feel tormented. Okay. And I love the Lord. I mean, I was a Jesus witnessing, worshiping uh, young Christian. I love the Lord. But I was battling with unforgiveness towards another brother in the body of Christ. And, and when I said that, I feel tormented. The Lord reminded me of Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant who had been forgiven of so much, so much. And there was this other person who owed him a little bit and he responded harshly. And he's like, you got to pay it all, throw him in jail until he pays it all. And then when that person who had forgiven the, the, this, this, this guy of, of so much heard about his unjust, ungracious response when he had been released of so much, he delivered him over to the tormentors. And Jesus said this in Matthew 18. He said, so my heavenly father will do to each of you who does not forgive his brother from his heart. I believe that's Matthew 18, 
35. And I thought, man, I don't want to experience torment in my soul here in this life or eternity. Now, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. But I was experiencing demonic torment because I had unforgiveness that I had opened the door in my heart and in my life. And so it's a serious deal. People who walk through freedom ministry, people who walk through breaking chains of addiction and healing and deliverance and freedom, that's one of the steps that they have to walk through. I'm sure it's one of the steps in AA as well, like forgiving uh, those in the past who, who've, who've done you wrong. And the gospel gives us the reason and the resource to forgive others. It gives us the reason and the resource to forgive others. Like, I don't know how non-Christian couples make it through years of marriage without having that reason and resource of the gospel to forgive one another and treat one another better than they think their spouse deserves. D.A. Carson says this, that this is a one-time self-righteous Pharisee. Speaking of Paul, who was Saul. This was a one-time self-righteous Pharisee, the heir of Jewish exclusiveness. And he is speaking of a Gentile, a Gentile slave at that, from the very dregs of Roman society, yet he can refer to him as a son. So his statement in Colossians 3.11, that there is neither Greek nor Jew, or at Galatians 3.28, bond or free, is no empty formula, but reflects the attitude of heart to which he himself had been brought by God. Amen? So the gospel gives us both the reason and the resource to forgive. Paul says, if he, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. By the way, Philemon's name means affectionate. Affectionate, right? Paul was calling him to live up to his name. Right? That, that God-given calling to be an affectionate, hospitable, loving person in the body of Christ. And Jesus, and, and, and Jesus had transformed Onesimus. He had become a, belie- a believer, a brother in Christ, and he went from being unuseful to useful to God and to the Apostle Paul. And so lastly, we, we see Paul's assurance that Philemon will do the right thing. Okay? Paul expressed this to the churches. He expressed this to the Philippian church. He said, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Paul could express that because he believed in the power of the gospel to save and keep people eternally. And so he can affirm them in the good that he saw in their lives. And he can, he can, he can speak to them with this confidence and this assurance that they're on the right path. So he says, yes, brother, I want to have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Um, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. So Paul's confident that he's going to do the right thing. Now let me, let me address a question. I don't want, I don't have time to spend long on this, but I do have some notes from a previous message that I've preached on in addressing slaves and masters in, in the book of Ephesians. Why did Paul not explicitly condemn slavery in his letters? Maybe you're wondering that. As we talk about slavery and as we're, we're recognizing Reconciliation Sunday, why didn't he explicitly say to the master, this seems like a great opportunity to do that, as he's writing to Philemon, or in Colossians or Ephesians when he brings it up? Why didn't he just say, masters, release all your slaves? I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus, do that. It seems like, like that's the Christian thing to do, right? That's what we would, we would think. And so, so here, here's one theologian I think helps us. There's several, actually several things that I can share with you guys. I don't have time to, but if you want uh, some information on how to answer that question and wrestle with that question, if this isn't sufficient for you, then I'll send you, um, what I have. First, the message of Christianity is primarily to individuals and not and only secondary to society. 
it leaves the units whom it has influenced to influence the mass. Second, it acts upon the spiritual and moral sentiment and only afterwards and consequently on deeds or institutions. Third, it hates violence and trusts wholly to enlightened conscience. So it meddles directly with no political or social arrangements, but lays down principles which profoundly affect these and leaves them to soak into the general mind. The principles of the gospel worked into the conscience of a nation destroy slavery. Amen? Amen. And so this is what we see uh, throughout history. I mean, of course, we see Christians and professing Christians using Bible to support enslaving people. But the Apostle Paul talked about enslavers of men being an evil thing, that the law, First Timothy says that the law is for enslavers of men, liars, and gives a list of people who treat others like property rather than those who've been made in the image of God. And it's, it's folks like William Wilberforce who, who advocated for the abolition of slavery who, who were, they were Christians leading the way and saying, this is wrong. We ought not to do this. And so the other thing that I would point out too is that slavery in the Roman world was different than slavery as we know it in the Americas. Um, and I can send some, some ways that it's different. And so I don't have time today, uh, to, to go there anymore. But if you have questions or you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. And so let me just close with some application. Kevin, do you want to come on up? The first thing is that I want to encourage you to forgive those who've wronged you, remembering how much you've been forgiven through Christ. As Martin Luther says, that we are all Onesimuses. We've all been rebellious. We all deserve the death penalty for our actions according to the law of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the charis, the the free charis gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? And so let us forgive those who have wronged us. And it's hard. It's hard when when people keep doing that over and over again. They do something that's just painful. And it hurts. It stings. It's destructive. It's foolish. It's, it baffles you. Like, why did they say that? Why did they do that? Don't they, don't they see? Maybe we need to pray like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they, they know not what they do. There's spiritual blindness. They don't, they don't grasp the depth of the, the consequences of their words and actions. They're blinded. They're captive. Or maybe they're believers. They love the Lord, but they're just, they've said some things and done some things. There's some social, there's some blind spots that need, need, they need help to see. Now there's, there's a way of addressing that biblically. Like you go to a brother or sister when they do you wrong, when they offend you, or if you perceive that your brother or sister is offended with you. Works both ways, right? Jesus taught this. Because it, it affects our worship. If we don't do that, if we don't address it, it, it affects our relationship with God. You see, this is so important that Jesus taught his followers to make this a regular part of their prayer lives. Father, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I don't know who here has debt right now, financial debt, but debt's not fun to mess around with. Financial debt's not fun to mess around with. It will squeeze the life out of you living under debt. It's terrible. Frustrating. Hinders you. But relational debt's even worse. Trying to walk with somebody who your debt with them is so high or your debt towards somebody else is so high, it just feels hopeless to try to ever pay it all back. Because you can't. You can't. But Jesus, in the power of the gospel, can bring healing to those broken areas of dysfunction in our relationships and in our hearts. And we can forgive because Christ has forgiven us. And for some of us, we we may need to face the guilt and shame of our past with gospel confidence. 
Okay, there's also this idea of restitution and going back when you've wronged somebody like uh, Zacchaeus, who I mentioned last week, who had wrongfully taken from people. And he said, I went back and when I did that, I restored fourfold what I took. I gave half of my goods to the Lord. And if I took wrongfully from people, fourfold. Man, that dude was, he was all in, right? Restoration, that's the Old Testament principle. And so it's not, it's not like we neglect the, 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 the physical, the, the worldly consequences when we've done wrong to somebody, when we've taken from someone, when we've said something, we shouldn't have a part of our repentance and a part of making it right, maybe going back to say sorry and try to make amends in some very practical ways. William Barclay says, Christianity is not to help a man to escape his past and run away from it. It is, it is out to enable a man to face his past and rise above it. Amen. And so lastly, let me just finish with this is lead others with grace rather than using tactics such as guilt tripping, shaming, intimidation and coercing. Lead with grace. Now, this this is applicable to parenting as well. Works in our parenting as we're leading our kids. We want to lead with grace. Warren Wiersbe says that voluntary sacrifice and service motivated by love is what the Lord wants from his children. I so appreciate how the Apostle Paul gave space to Philemon to respond. He didn't demand it. He's like, I'm confident you'll do what's right. He gives him some good reasons. He's winsome. He's persuasive. He, he displays gospel principles. The gospel of grace highlights that. But he gives them the proper space to respond and not quench the, the Holy Spirit working in the situation. Right? And so let's, let's be those who lead others like that. Whoever you're leading, lead with grace. Not guilt tripping, shaming, intimidation, and coercing. We want people won over by the grace of God. By the beauty of his grace. By the purity of his love. That brings wholeness to the broken parts of our lives. And so as Kevin leads us in a song here, let's, let's just sit before the Lord and ask God, maybe there's someone on your mind or something on your mind right now and ask God, God, what are you speaking to me about? What, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning?